Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. This podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. So today, we're going to have, for part two of our continuing discussion, Philip Rutherford, who is the Chief Operating Officer operating officer of Face and Voices of Recovery. And uh, Philip, thank you again for joining us. Excellent. Glad to be back. Glad to be back. Yeah. Well, f- so last time we talked a little bit about you and, and a little bit about, you know, Faces and Voices of Recovery. And today I just wanted to take the opportunity to let our listeners know a bit more about what you guys are, what you do, and talk about the future a bit. So with that, can, wh- what is Faces and Voices of Recovery? Well, primarily, uh, we are an advocacy organization. So our our mission is to advocate for the voice of peer recovery support at the federal, state, local, county, uh, rotary club, state fair, uh, family dinner, basically to advocate anywhere possible for the cause of peer recovery support. Uh, We are headquartered in Washington, DC. So a lot of the advocacy work that we do is at the federal level. And we work with an organization called ARCO, which stands for the Association of Recovery Community Organizations. Uh, We actually manage that that group. And that's a collection of organizations around the country that do more of the sort of boots on the ground advocacy work in communities. And that's, that's really at the core of what we do. Now, every good advocacy effort needs funding. So there are some other things that we do that, that help generate funding to, to support that. Uh, surprisingly, I, one of the things that I said, I, I come from the private sector. And one of the things I said sort of after joining Faces and Voices early on was that we, we put the non in nonprofit. Um, so I, I really, I, I think that over the past few years, we've, we've been able to build a little bit of a framework to support even larger advocacy efforts. Uh, one of the things that we do is collect data on people that are in recovery. And so there's a, there's quite a bit of information out there about what happens to people that have substance use disorder on the on the negative side, right? There's information about drunk driving and, and all the, all of the negative components of use. What there doesn't seem to be is a lot of positive data or recovery data. So we launched a product called the Recovery Data Platform, and this particular it's a cloud based platform that collects data uh, at our, at these recovery community centers around the country. And it looks at things like, well, when people are engaged with peer support, what happens to them? What happens to their quality of life? What happens to their, the social determinants of health around that person? Do they maintain employment? Do they get stable housing? And all, all of the things that are, are trappings of successful life. And we track that and aggregate that data and then share that out with stakeholders as evidence of what recovery actually looks like. And this particular product came from a number of conversations that we had with with policymakers where we said, hey, recovery works. They said, great, we believe you. We said, hey, can we have some funding? They said, where's your data? So that's that's kind of how that 
that particular product came to bear. Uh, we also do a lot of training and best practice sharing with organizations around the country and try and really try and share the knowledge that we've had. We've been in business uh, since 2001. So as far as recovery organizations go, we're, we're, the, we're the old timer. And we've collected quite a bit of data and quite a bit of information about what successful peer recovery support looks like. And we, we endeavor to share that with, with people around the country. So I could go on and on about all the stuff that we do, but that's the core is advocacy. And the way that we do that is at, like I said, at those, at the varying levels. And we use those other tools that we have to help support it. Uh, one of the things that we actually don't do a lot of and probably will look to do going forward is ask for individual support. Like we don't, we don't typically go out to people and ask for individual members or individual supports. And we know that there are a lot of people that are passionate about recovery and want to want to support the cause. So we're, we're, we're looking into kind of developing our individual membership program as well. Oh, and I appreciate that. And I will tell you that uh, I am one of those passionate people, as you know, that follows recovery and follows you guys. And um, the one thing that you did not touch on there real quick was how I even came into to contact with Faces and Voices of Recovery. And that was through your video and audio products. Um, I have mentioned in in other podcasts that I've done that how I came across you guys was rather by accident one night when I was watching television and flipping through the 700 channels of absolutely nothing on television and then stumbled across a video called Anonymous People, which is one of your products. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, Anonymous People? Because I think it's a very profound uh, video. It actually changed my direction and how I look at my role in recovery and advocacy. And uh, it is a project, I believe it came out in 2012. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. That is correct. uh, Yeah. If you could tell us a little bit about that and uh, how that came to be. And uh, do you you have any other plans to do a similar project? Sure. Sure. So the, in terms of products that we distribute, you you mentioned there's, uh, and, and I appreciate that, that it is, the anonymous people is probably one of the big things that people know us for. It is, it is one of many audio and video tools that we use to communicate the message of recovery. And and I think for people that haven't seen it, the short version is this much like I said, when we're the reason that we collect data about people in recovery and try and demonstrate that people get well and that there is, it is, not only is treatment possible, but recovery is possible and treatment is effective and, and recovery is possible. Um, the anonymous people film sort of chronicles that and it talks about the movement of people that basically are, are frustrated with a system that does not adequately treat substance use disorder in, in the chronic way that it, that it exists and ultimately want to hold policymakers accountable for for the changes that are necessary. I I think another big thing that our our products look at, our our audio and video products look at, is this business of stigma. And both the internalized stigma of the person with substance use disorder and the sort of externalized societal stigma that exists for people that have substance use disorder or, or addiction. And... I I think that it's important that we get that message out. And one of the things that's happened, uh, my experience with uh, 
recovery and recovery advocacy is similar in that seeing anonymous people sort of activated something uh, within me as a person in, in long-term recovery and, and made me want to come out of my, uh, my, my 12 step shell and, and share a little bit more publicly about my recovery journey. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, uh, many members of early 12 step groups, uh, testified publicly and, and, and shared yeah. about their, shared about their recovery. They didn't necessarily share about their particular affiliation, but they talked openly about the recovery process. And I think it's important that we as an organization, let people know that it's okay to do that. I, well, I can tell you it had an effect on me because I have mentioned to you before that I was at the time teaching a class on on addiction, um, a class called Leading at Risk Employees at the FBI Academy to police executives. And the purpose of the course was to discuss policies, procedures, and programs that these executives should have in place for their employees. And I had been taught, like you had mentioned, it was it was a misunderstanding, but it is actually what I had been taught by some, you know, quote, old timers in the the twelve step program that I was not to share my personal experience of recovery in public settings outside of recovery circles. That's what I had been taught, and so here I am teaching a class that I had developed, and I'm talking about recovery, and I'm talking about prevention. I'm talking about relapse, relapse prevention, treatment options, you know, all the different things that the that I felt like these people needed to know about. But I wasn't sharing my own personal journey. And they picked up on that. The students did. And I was confronted on it. And they said, you know, it's pretty obvious that you are in recovery, but you you never actually mentioned that in in this class. And so I struggled with whether or not I was going to share my story uh, because again I had that that belief that uh, the spiritual tradition of anonymity meant that I could not share my um, my my story, and I had spoken to people in my network, and uh, even spoke to my wife, who's very very well versed in recovery programs, and we didn't have a solution. And the weird thing was it, that day, that very day that I struggled with whether or not I was going to share my personal journey, was uh, as I was going to bed that night is when I stumbled across anonymous people. And anybody that's listening to me right now that's never seen that video, I really encourage you to take a look at it because it profoundly changed how I look at my recovery and how I uh, talk to people about it. In fact, this podcast is an outgrowth of the fact that I had seen that video. And that video changed my perception because it, it described exactly what you just de described right now, Philip. And that is that I am free to talk about my recovery and and I should be proud of it. You know, my recovery is the, the most important thing that I've ever done in my life. I've done a lot of things in my life, a lot of things in my life, a lot of important things in my life. But the most important thing I ever did in my life was get sober. And I should be able to share that joy with other people and, and help other people get into recovery. Because after all, if there aren't people like you and I, Philip, talking about recovery and how you can get well, then how else are they supposed to know about it? And that was sort of the theme of the whole video. And uh, I went in the next day, just to, to kind of close the loop on that story, I went in the next day and whatever I had planned, I put that aside and just said, okay, we're going to spend the next two hours talking about my personal journey. And it had a profound effect on the class. And I was surprised at how many people came up to me and thanked me for telling my story. And they talked about their own personal journey, their family members, co-workers, friends. Uh, it was really overwhelming. And it's been that way ever since. So it's important. And yeah. that that video 
was a very powerful message and I think kind of changed how a lot of people look at how they talk about recovery, even the terms uh, we use. Absolutely. I, I mean, my my recovery experience is shaped by by that film. And, and I'm a student of history. I, you know, I, I really sincerely believe that uh, Bill Wilson would be pleased with the direction that we have headed as it pertains to recovery advocacy. I, I don't believe that there was ever a plan to keep recovery away from the masses and to keep it sort of hidden in, in back rooms. I, I think oh, no. the, enti- the entire purpose of at least m- my journey in recovery was so that I could rejoin the world. So it, it seems uh, a bit counterintuitive to me to rejoin the world and be silent, like you said, about the one thing that enabled me to rejoin the world. So, so that that doesn't that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And I, and I think that I think that as things go, uh, people are, are really beginning to open up and have these discussions and sort of the unfortunate effect of of uh, the focus on anonymity and silence is that it perhaps not intentionally, but it, it has a, the propensity to promote stigma. Because yeah. regardless of what you say about it, if I if I never tell you about the thing that I'm doing uh, once or twice a week in a dark basement with other people, if I never talk about it and you don't know anything about it, it's a lot easier for you to come up with ideas about what it is, as opposed to me saying I'm in recovery. I practice a program of recovery with a, with a group of people that are also doing similar things and we're living a good life and our you know, our, our collective impact on society is far better than it was a short time ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of open recovery advocacy. Yeah. Plus, I think what happened was, I think that as I, I, like you, I'm a student of history and I've gone back and I've looked at what Bill Wilson's original intent was because Bill Wilson, as you know, was a prolific writer. He wrote a lot. Um, he was always writing letters to be answering questions from people, and he was writing letters. And I think what it comes down to is this idea uh, of anonymity, what it meant in the early intention of the program was uh, it needs to be a safe place for the new person. So somebody that's coming in who's obviously new and, and vulnerable and uh, maybe dealing with stigma and shame and all those types of things, they, they need to be safe. They, they need to have a safe place. And so the idea is that I don't talk about you. I don't talk about you and your recovery. That's that's between you and God and you and and whoever. That's that's for you to decide. I cannot make that decision for you. I I, I keep you anonymous, but I am free to talk about me and my recovery. That was my yep. understanding of it. Yep, yep. I'm a and I, I don't want to head down the 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 twelve step path too far, but I, I Doctor Bob uh, Bob Smith, who's a co-founder of AA. Uh, it's rumored that I wasn't in his office, so I don't know if this is true, but it's rumored that he had a plaque on his desk uh, about anonymity and humility uh, and humility being a perpetual quietness of heart mm-hmm. and and that the the root of of what it is that the, the pathway that they were seeking was was not so much about secrecy, but it was about humility. And, 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 yeah, and, I, and I, I think that is uh, for me, that's the guiding principle. So. Um, and just to go, and the thing is, to go bigger picture, I think one of the one of the key things that differentiates an organization like Faces and Voices 
from say a specific 12 step fellowship is that we are, we support multiple pathways to recovery. And what that means to us is that, you know, for some mutual aid groups like 12 steps and smart recovery and all, I, we call them all of the A's, right? A-A-N-A-C-A-G-A-C-M-A, all of the A's. Um, that's, that is a pathway to recovery for some. For others, physical fitness is a path, pathway to recovery. For others, faith and, and their, their connection with their faith community is a pathway to recovery. For, for many, there's a collection of things that they do. And what, what we say is we, we want to help in whatever path someone wants to get to, to what they define as recovery, we want to support that and, and offer, offer help with that because we have a, a network of people that have recovered in a variety of ways. And, and that we think is the, is, is the sort of the secret sauce to recovery community organizations and, and peer support at large. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's finding what works, you know, cause at the end of the day, uh, it's what works for you. And, yeah. and if I'm, if I know you and I'm in recovery and I'm helping you get along in your recovery or come along in your recovery, uh, if you have found something that works for you and it's keeping you sober, well, then I, <laughs> who am I to question that, right? Exactly. So, and now that's 2012 is when Anonymous People came out. Do you um, maybe discuss a little bit, if you will, Philip, um, how about anything since then? Any new videos that uh, have come out or products that you think that would be helpful to the audience? And, and sort of what's the future when it comes to broadcast and, and film? So from a mass consumption standpoint, actually the gentleman, the filmmaker uh, that was lead on anonymous people, a gentleman named Greg Williams, has made another film called Generation Found. Uh, and that actually chronicles uh, youth substance use disorder and and it's it's a quality piece now we were we were not directly engaged with the end product on that we were just greg williams a friend of ours and we um support him in his work what i think what has happened since 2012 is that like when i was i was thinking about this earlier when you mentioned you know what have we done why aren't we making movies you didn't say why aren't we making movies but that's what my brain did with your your statement <laughs> um I, I i did mention i was a person in recovery um so what my <laughs> brain did with, my, my brain what my brain did with that statement was well what have we been doing and i think uh the the outpouring that ha what happened as a result of anonymous people is that people in communities all over the country started reaching out and saying i I, I don't know how to do this in my community. I want to have this in my community. I want to have one of these RCO things. I want to have one of these community centers. I want to do this. I, and I want to make this a reality in my backyard. And a lot of our work has shifted from sort of the, we'll call anonymous people carpet bombing in that we're, we are, we, we sort of put out a broad message to just, essentially anyone that would listen, what we've done since then. And at that time, I want to say that uh, recovery community organizations in the country, there might've been 20. Well, they're probably up around 300 right now. And, and a lot of our effort has been, has gone into developing community resources, community-based resources for people in their, in their environment. So less, big picture, more, less carpet bombing, more rifle hunting. Um, and like I can, I, 
I could go on for at length about the different communities that we're involved with, with trying to support and raise up their projects. But we, I think our operations have definitely shifted to more of a, okay, here's, here's how you, here's how you start and build this in your, in your Hamlet rather than here's the big picture message. Mm. So, so I think that is the, that is the what uh, to that answer to that question. And I think that, I mean, that, that, number of recovery community organizations continues to grow. Now, within our fellowship specifically, the Association of Recovery Community Organizations, there are about 150 that are are within our within our confines. And that's based on we ask for a certain level of of uh, rigor and fidelity associated with the way the organization is run. Not to say anything negative about the other organizations that are out there because they're all doing fine work. Um, it's just that that's the size of of our particular set of organizations, but there has been a massive increase in the amount of resources available to people at a community level. Mm. And, and, and ultimately I think that was the, um, I don't know if that was the intended consequence or the unintended consequence of anonymous people, but that is what happened is that people requested more specific help. Um, I can tell you right now that in a number of we're, so, so that's kind of what happened 2012, 2015, 2016, 2017. What's happened over the past couple of years is that we have started engaging with states. Um, as it's not a news flash, there there's an overdose crisis. People are are yeah. uh, the numbers of people passing from opioid overdose is is much higher than it was uh, ten years ago. So the federal government has dispensed uh, funding to do something about it, right? Um, we have been working specifically with states to try and build at a community level these supports for people and these opportunities for communities to run their own show, to run their own organizations within their own communities and and working at that from us. So at, for a while we were working just with individual organizations, we've started working with states who say, um, and I, I don't want to say the name of the state, but there's one state in particular that has basically said, we want an RCO in every city. We want to make sure that there is there is this network of advocacy, public education, and peer-based supports. We want to make sure there's one of those in every city in our state. And how do we do that? So that the the messaging that you got from anonymous people, right? One of the big things that comes out of anonymous people is this business of saying, Hey, my name is Philip Rutherford. I'm a person living in long-term recovery. And what that means to me is X, right? That's the messaging training that's mentioned in that film. Um, every place that there is a, a new RCO, every place that there is a, a recovery community organization, that organization can start to spread that kind of information at a city by city level. So, um, on one hand, no media production on another hand, lots of kind of in, in theater work. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. And that's, it really demonstrates the, the, the impact that, that, that video had long-term impact. And that that's fantastic. As I said, that's, that's how I've, I've come to be in contact with you. And, to, and speaking of opiate deaths, um, I know you partner with, I don't know if you want to call them cousin organizations, if you will, but um, going over into other countries. And I know 
in Europe, like here, they are having uh, a horrendous opiate crisis as well. And um, any thoughts or desire to even expand this message overseas? Absolutely. Uh, there are, there actually is, uh, there's Faces and Voices Canada, there's Faces and Voices uh, Brazil, there's Faces and Voices Africa, or Africa. Um, there, there are a number of different Faces and Voices organizations around the globe. Um, now, they do not operate at the same level or have the same capacity that we do. And one of the things that we are hoping to do over the next couple of years, and um, I, I grew up in the South, right? So they, in the South, they say money builds churches. So one of the things that, that in order to really promote this uh, in other places is we have to build a, a robust financial engine to be able to spread this message. One of the challenges with places like Brazil, Africa, even some parts of the UK is that, so we're, you know, we're, we're having an, uh, an opioid epidemic. We've people in the recovery movement have been doing good work for years and years to communicate to policymakers that substance use disorder or addiction is an illness and that it operates like an illness and that treatment is effective and recovery is possible. That's, that's something that we've been working on for years and years here. Um, in other countries, that groundwork has not always been as, as broad and as loud as it has been here. So there, there are other countries where uh, substance use disorder is still seen as kind of a moral failing or oh, yeah. um, that something is, wrong with, something is wrong with the individual. And, and I don't ever debate whether or not there's something wrong with the individual. There was certainly something wrong with me when, when, I, when I reached the shores of recovery. Uh, but it was, not, it was not that I suffered from a moral failing. It was that I, I had a, a treatable uh, health condition. And that, but that messaging and that advocacy, that takes time. And that takes uh, concentrated effort and that takes policymakers that are, are willing to hear that or have some vested interest in hearing that. Now, we've been blessed slash cursed here with policymakers who cannot avoid the message of substance use disorder and recovery because it's affecting people in their families and they, they, they don't really have an, an opportunity to avoid it. Um, in other countries, I have no doubt that that's going on, but I just don't know that the advocacy voice has been as, as effective in those places. So one of the things that we're looking to do over the next five years, called the five-year plan, is to really get into those other countries and, and push that messaging and, and not just say that, okay, hey, we did it this way in America, so that's the way you should do it because nobody wants to hear that right now. But here are the results, right? Here's the data. Here, the data is when people engage with peer supports, when people receive treatment and have, uh, we, we give access to housing and, and, and better behavioral health measures, that they tend to have greater or better output and better long-term success than people that we treat like a moral deviance and lock them up in a room. Yeah. Or, or actually have policies that in fact perpetuate addiction. Correct. Because I've, I've seen that as well. And no, that, that's fantastic work. And, you know, anything that we can do here 
uh, in in this podcast or in, in what we're doing to help you push that message out, we'd we'd love to do that. And um, you know, Philip, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. I mean, just a very powerful message, very well said. And you know, anybody that's out there that's listening to this podcast that wants to know more, how can they contact you, Phil? Well, they can go to our website. Uh, it's facesandvoicesofrecovery.org. Uh, we did shoot for the longest possible website known to man, but uh, it is facesandvoicesofrecovery.org. And uh, we encourage people to join, donate, just get in there and get involved and see what see what information you can find. We're Right now, there's, I don't know if, if anyone is aware of it or not, but there's an election coming. And we are a nonpartisan organization, so we have no interest in how people vote, but we want to make sure that people do vote. We want to make sure that people vote their recovery conscience, right? So looking at policies and, and policy makers and, and understanding what their position is on substance use disorder treatment and substance use disorder recovery. Do they support it? How well do they support it? What's their track record? So we have a section on our site called Recovery Voices Count, which I think we're pushing it pretty hard right now. So you might be directed there as soon as you go to the site, but but there are there are plenty of ways to engage with us and connect with us uh, just by going to the website. You know what? And that's a very good point, uh, Phil. And I I live here in in Virginia, and I have gone to uh, a number of meetings with uh, various candidates that are run, that are running for office, and I make a point of talking to them about recovery and keeping this issue at the forefront. So whatever your p- political flavor is, whatever, in, in, like you just mentioned, Phil, none of us is telling you who to vote for or which way to go. That's that's not the point. The point is that whoever becomes your elected representative needs to understand addiction um, and, and make it a priority because I know here in the United States, but in many parts of the world, uh, the opiate crisis is a very real crisis. And Absolutely. this cannot be an issue that can drop uh, by the wayside. It just can't. So yeah, do please get involved. And I appreciate you pointing that out. So thank you very much. And, okay. and Phil, thank you. And so as always, I'd like to say, I don't represent any group. I don't re- do not represent anyone other than myself. And Phil is the same. My only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what I have done because it has helped me and maybe it will help you too. So if I or Phil have said something that does not apply to you or you don't agree with, then just discard it. But take anything that you can use if it helps you and helps other people. So that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way and we help to impart the knowledge we have gained with others as well. So with that, please visit our website, uh, which is Recovery is Possible and our um or the Facebook page is Recovery is Possible and our website, which is VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. We are in competition with you on the length there. So let me know how I'm doing and let me know if there's any topic that you're interested in. Love to hear from you. Phil would love to hear from you. Please check out Faces and Voices of Recovery, their website. Please donate to them. Uh, pass along to your friends and folks, we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks.